Amen. Yes. <clears throat> Good morning. It's a great day to be together and share together once again <clears throat> here in the house of the Lord. Today we finish this short series that we've been in, the three P's of prayer. Week one taught us that practice is important, that rehearsals matter. <laughs> you've been to those before, have you not? You've had practice, you have rehearsals, they're important to have, especially if you're a, a softball team or a baseball team or, you know, getting ourselves together and practicing rehearsing. If you're getting married or you got to have that rehearsal time, especially the rehearsal dinner, that's always good. But uh, it, practice makes perfect. Rehearsals are important and, and, and uh, it, it's something that, that uh, we must practice at various things in our lives. The prayer starts and it develops with a closeness to God, that closeness that we can have to God that says, Our Father, Daddy, Abba, Father, that, that there's this closeness in Jesus that he models in his prayer. It's something that, that was recognized when Jesus prayed. In fact, it was the closest, so noticed that his disciples said to Jesus, Teach us how to pray like that. Teach us just what you just did, Jesus. We saw something there that went beyond just the kneeling, just beyond the tightly closed eyes or something different, and we want to know what that is. Teach us how to pray. We want to have that kind of relationship. Teach us to pray that we may have that kind of closeness. You see, when we have that kind of relationship that Jesus modeled, we are less likely to make it my kingdom come, my will be done. When we rightly place ourselves at the feet of Jesus, we find that what is best for our lives, lives is the king, his kingdom come. His will be done. In week one, we find that we ourselves can get in the way. <laughs> we can get in the way of having our own great prayer life with our Heavenly Father. In our second week, we found that our problems get in the way. You ever found your problems getting in the way? I had a simple thing just a few weeks ago. As simple as, as a handbrake on my little red pony, I, 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 I pulled it up and it went snap. Yeah. Almost $400 later, it was okay for just that. For just that one little snap, that little problem, it got in the way. And, of course, we look at that and go, that's not a big problem. You should be with some of my friends that had a bigger problem with an automobile. And uh, sometimes you have to go get another automobile. And it becomes a, a big problem, problems that can kind of get in the way. That was week two, our problems. That knowing you are never alone is an important part. Knowing that God's presence and strength and comfort is always available to us. Knowing that God has created each of us for eternity and that he will one day redeem us entirely, it is this knowledge and trust that is the antidote to all the anxieties of life. You say, you don't know my anxieties. Well, I know the one that can help us with our anxieties. So number one, we ourselves can get in the way of having a great prayer life. And number two, our, our problems can get in the way of having a great prayer life. And today we look at our third P that uh, in the three P's of prayer that can get in the way of a great prayer life, and it's our, our stuff, uh, our stuff, our, our possessions. You thought, oh, great, he's going to go there. Don't we love it when we talk about such things? There's, there's a story of a young boy who went into a clinic with his mother. His mother was very sick, just with the flu, and, and, and many people had come had become sick, and they were, they were all in the waiting room that day as she walked in, just numerous people sitting everywhere, and everybody had their own bucket. 
you know what kind of sickness that is, don't you? Everybody, you know, your doctor can't see you just yet. Here, have a bucket, go sit down. And, and that's what everybody was doing. And they were waiting in that room with numerous alien individuals, miserable with that flu. You know, when you have a flu, there's just not much tolerance to be shared. Every little noise, every little bump that can be felt, it can be felt through your entire body, the noises, turn the TV down, turn it off, turn it down, it's, uh, I don't feel good. And while his mother sit waiting for a doctor, she was miserable and the, the body aches and the headaches, the muscle ache. You know, you've been there, have you not? Everyone in the waiting room had been given these, these buckets as they wait. And as they waited, a little boy began to get fidgety. You ever seen the little fidgety boy in the waiting room? It's a lot like that little brown puppy, four-month-old chocolate Labrador that's been hanging out at our house for some reason. I don't know what it's doing there. It doesn't belong there. It says hi with about five different lashes of the tongue, and you have new, new hair slick stuff going on. That's what the little boy was like. He was busy, 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 checking everything out. Everything had to be touched and messed with. His name was Johnny. Johnny, little sinner Johnny was his name. He was making airplane sounds and explosive noises. He was just being a little healthy little boy while everyone looked at, on at his, Johnny's mom and they stared at her like, do something. You ever looked at somebody like that? You've been in a store, haven't you? And you looked at the mom and looked at the kid and looked at the mom and looked at the kid. Do something. Mom just kept her head down in her bucket. And about then, little precious Johnny, he noticed something. He noticed a jar of candy sitting on the help desk. And this candy jar was the kind that you really can't put your hand in and grab some candy out. You kind of have to pour it out into your hand. It was just too small of a hole, which fit perfectly his arm down that hole. And he reached in there and he grabbed a big handful of candy and he went to pull it out, but it wouldn't come out. A handful of candy, as much as he could get his little meat paw on, and, and he began to try to get his candy-stuffed hand out of the jar. And with his handful of candy, he, he now began to, to, to wave it. You got to wave it. And people began to duck left and right. And he wanted to get that candy out. And his mom looked over and whispered, she goes, one piece, just one piece. But he wouldn't have it. He began to scream, I want candy. I want candy. That's when we look at them and go, do something about your child, or I'll do something about your child. I have a little Johnny in my family. So as he's screaming, he runs over to the desk and he starts banging the thing on the desk, trying to get it off. He wanted that candy. All of it that was in his hand, and as the story goes, Johnny, with his hand full, locked in the jar, not giving up his hand full, he began to swing it and wave it and bang it against everything. And then Johnny, the person that told the story, said that what he really wanted to do was to call Johnny over and breathe in his face. Maybe give Johnny some time to think twice about the candy, precious little child that he was. Here's the question that it gives for us today. Did Johnny have the candy or did the candy have Johnny? In 1991, Gloria Estefan said it this way. She said, I try to say I love you, but the words get in the way. 
Well, what we might say today is, Lord, I, I try to say I love you. I, I try to serve you. I, I try to spend the kind of time that a real relationship requires. I, I try to trust you as I walk through my valley of shadow of death, allowing you to lead and guide me and to make me lie down in green pastures, allowing me to restore my soul. Lord, I try to say I love you, but the stuff gets in the way. My possessions get in the way of my prayer life my time that I spend with you, Lord. Here's a question each of us must answer in the pursuit of a close, relational, shepherd-led prayer life. Does my stuff have me, or do I have my stuff? Do my possessions have me, or do I have my possessions? Say, great, another message on money. Oh, what a day. We, and you said we should go today, and well, I didn't know it would be that, but... Why, do we, why does the church always talk about money? That's the big question. Why does the church talk about, well, here's, here's something maybe you didn't know. Did you know that two-thirds of Jesus' parables spoke directly about money or possessions? Did you know that there are 2,300 verses that all deal with money and possessions in the Word of God? Apparently, our Lord thought that it would be important that we talk about our stuff occasionally. And reading from the Gospel of Mark, I direct your attention to the chapter, Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Let's stand together as we read this story of the rich run, run, young ruler together. Mark 10, 17 through 22. It says this, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I, what must I do, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to them, I can just imagine the relief in his voice. Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And he said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we give you thanks and praise today for your word. We pray, Lord, uh, this wouldn't be a, 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 an exegesis on an opinion, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us, Lord, for it's much more than just a dollar figure, Lord. So help us to see with your eyes this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, there was an expert in diamonds who happened to be seated on an airplane beside a woman with a huge diamond ring on her finger. Finally, the man, he introduced himself and he said, I couldn't help but notice your beautiful diamond. That's, that's a beautiful diamond. I am an expert in precious stones. Please tell me about that stone. And she replied that this is the famous Klopman diamond one of the largest in the world, she says, but there's a strange curse that comes with it. Now the man was really interested. He, he asked, what, what is the curse? And as he waited with bated breath, she replied, it's Mr. Klopman. <laughs> Some of us may want to reevaluate re our diamonds on that basis, but but seriously, the, the true curse of any kind of valuable possession is its capacity to steal our hearts and our souls. 
The rich young ruler is one of those unique characters from the Bible that has come to represent greed. It becomes uh, so when our stuff controls us. Have you ever felt controlled by your stuff? (laughs) When our stuff controls us instead of us controlling our stuff, when we have control of our money and it does not have control of us. You see, I've lived just long enough in, in our world and the culture that we live in to know that there is one good thing about a recession. Ooh, don't say that word, right? Don't say that word recession, but there is one good thing about a recession. It seems to sober us up. If we're self-aware, it causes us to turn our back on things that we just don't need and to hold close to the things that really matter in life. After all, periods of recession usually follow extreme periods of wretched excess in the world that we live. Martha Bolton and Phil Calloway in their book, It's Always Darkest Before the Fridge Door Opens, they tell about, a strolling, about strolling through a mall one day, laughing at all the things in the mall that they didn't need. Let me share a couple of those with you that they found uh, that they could do without. Here's one, a water fountain for your cat. Now, some of you just went, oh, that's a neat idea. <laughs> Amazon.com. Hey, good for you, brother. No, no one really needs a cat, right? But I'm sorry. You, you probably love cats. If you need a fountain for your cat, you can get a, a fountain. Apparently, you can get a fountain for your cat. Number two, a cell phone that works underwater. I just want to hear that conversation. Alarm clocks that project time on your ceiling in the middle of the night when you should be sleeping, but you can't read during the daylight when you should be getting up. I like this one. Gas-powered blenders for the backyard. Some of you guys just went, oh, 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 oh. Let's blend that puppy. Not the puppy. Wow. I didn't mean let's blend the puppy. Here's one that's the most interesting of all. Pants that talk. (laughs) Just telling you. You say, what do they say? Zip me. Now, we've been around a few people that might need a pair of those pants. When my brother was at his largest, he used to ask me, is my zipper up? He says, I can't see it. <laughs> so pants that tell you. I don't, I don't need it. I don't want it. I, there, there have been days. There, back in the day when we would lead worship, there were the, those days where you'd turn around and you'd have a sensation and think, oh, no. <laughs> right? But we were just thankful that back then we wore coats. <laughs> Keep that coat buttoned brother well these are just some things that we know that we can do without pants that talk many people still have more money than than sense in the days that we live but truly many people having lived during financial difficult times seem to be even acting a little more responsible with what they do have these days that's why it's important for us to deal today with the rich young ruler you know the story well uh, young man ran up to Jesus. He falls on his knees. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do? Understand his, his questioning there. What must I do to inherit 
Just think through on that question for a minute. Have you ever asked yourself that? You ever asked yourself, what do do I got to do to get to heaven? It's the wrong question. Jesus was a little rough on the young man. Why do you call me good? And Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. You you know the commandments. Don't murder, commit adultery, don't steal, don't don't give false witness or testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And then he says, the young man says, I mean, don't you feel that way when you pass the test? I've been doing that since since I was younger, all the way up till now. Mark tells us Jesus looked at the young man. He loved him. He was a good guy, but one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything, everything you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And as he heard that, it's just the saddest thing you can think of. The young man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. He was a good guy, but that was not enough. That was not good enough. Jesus wanted him to divest all, everything, himself, of all his wealth. It's a tough story for many people. It it makes us nervous. It's like, well, what are you going to tell me this says? And it's made even tougher by what follows. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Wow, Jesus, you won't be being invited to any of our political rallies, that's for sure. The disciples were amazed at his words. You have to understand that this was a contradiction to everything that had been taught in the Old Testament. The faith of their fathers, their wealth, and their material goods, they were considered to be a sign of God's favor. The more you had, the more you accumulated, the greater God was blessing you. But Jesus wanted to demolish that myth forever. Listen to his words. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I've heard messages about this, how we like to exegesis the word and we like to draw from it its real meaning all the way down to we have a a small uh, gate in Jerusalem that's called the eye of the needle and they talk about them bringing their camels through, making them bend down on their knees and squat down and squeeze through. Have you ever tried to make a camel do anything? other than spit at you or bite you or whatever it wants to do. I don't know if they hunkered down their their animals to squeeze through the gate in Jerusalem. I'm just simple enough to just believe it the way Jesus said it. Because manufacturing your own salvation is just as impossible as threading a massive beast through the eye of a needle. When we say, what must I do? Jesus says, here's how hard it is. But I do want to tell you some good news about money this morning. You'd like to have some good news in tough financial times, would you not? We'll begin here. I'll start with this. You and I are rich. (laughs) You and I are rich. It's true, we're rich. And I say that with some hesitation, but no matter where you might find yourself financially today, 
There are always some incomes that have fallen or that are not keeping up with, with where the world is going. In some cases, homes are lost. And when money's tight, it puts a strain on family relationships. And many of us do not feel very rich. Yet compared to most people who have ever lived, we are very rich. There's a prayer that was written by scholar, by the scholar William Boyce. It reads this way. Dear Lord, I've been rereading the record of the rich young ruler and his obviously wrong choice, but it has set me thinking, no matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride in a car. He could not have a surgery or turn a light on, buy penicillin. He could not hear a pipe organ or watch TV, wash dishes in running water or type a letter or mow a lawn or fly an airplane, sleep on an inner spring mattress or talk on a phone. And then William Bice adds these words, if he was rich, then what am I? He's right, isn't he? We are. We are rich. In fact, church consultant Warren Mead, he likes to ask church audiences this question. He just says, are you rich? He says the response to the question is always the same. There is a little, there will be a murmur. A little murmur. He says the response to the question always has that little murmur, a sort of collective, wait a minute, what right has he to ask me that? And then there's a few hands that will go up tentatively. Somebody will blurt out, compared to what? He writes, if I hold the silence long enough, I'll start to get comments such as, well, with my mortgage and tuition payments, I'm darn near broke. And then he says there will be a nervous laughter always nervous laughter. Why do we work so hard to hide the fact that we are rich? Mead wonders this, the guy that does this little exercise. Why do we hide it from ourselves, he says. We are rich, most of us. I'm not making light of the difficult struggle that many of us may be having, but sometimes it helps to put things right into perspective. Some of us are rich in material things, and some of us are rich in things that money just can't buy. There are some things that money can't buy, aren't there? If we forget that, we'll lose our soul. The Dalai Lama had a quote. We don't use words from him that often. But this Buddhist leader said something in the book that is worth hearing. He writes that when traveling to the U.S., he is frequently invited into some of the most luxurious mansions imaginable, including, I'm sure, Hollywood mansions, he says. He says, those who reside in those mansions want for nothing. They have it all according to the world's standards, and yet, he says, he feels loneliness and sadness in those mansions in a way that he never feels, he says, when, when he is visiting the poor little villages of impoverished countries, including his native Nepal. He says, members of these tiny communities in what we call the third world don't feel the same greed or envy and deprivation that we do because everyone is in the same boat. They're all in it together. And keeping the body and soul together is a common goal within those tiny villages. In Western societies, based on consumerism, we look at to things. We look to things to make us happy instead of looking to each other, he said. We believe that the latest iPad, the newest fashions, and a cable TV hookup with thousands of channels will fulfill us, and we suffer for it. Because when the thrill of the new acquisition wears off, we feel vague, a vague, nagging sense of dissatisfaction. And so we look for new products to buy. 
rather than examining the deficits in ourselves and our intimate relationships. Christian missionaries to impoverished places like Haiti often say the same thing. Material influence is like a powerful narcotic. It satisfies for a while, but then it breeds nothing but emptiness from within. Most of us know what this is talking about. Whereas people who have very little in the way of things, they look for their happiness elsewhere. The Reverend Charles Booker Hearst tells a story that puts matters into perspective for us. One day a father of a very wealthy family, he, he took his son on a trip to a rural area with a, a firm purpose to showing his son how poor people, other people lived. They spent a couple of days and nights on the farm of what would be considered a very poor family. On their return home trip, the father asked the son, so how was the trip? It was great, Dad, the son replied. Did you, did you see how poor people live? The father asked him. Oh, yeah, said the son. So tell me, what did you learn from the trip, the father inquired. And the son answered it this way. He says, I saw that we have one dog. They had four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden. They have a creek that has no end. We have imported lanterns in our garden, and they have the stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard, and they have a whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants who serve us, but they serve others. We buy our food. They grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us, and they have friends that protect them. The boy's father was speechless. Then his son added, thanks, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. You see, some of us are rich in material things, and some of us are rich in things that money can't buy. But most of us are rich. That leads us to the third thing that, we must, that must be said. You don't have to give up everything of your possessions to follow Jesus. And that's when we all went, Dads, you can keep your flat panel TV, and it's okay. You see, Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything he had, give it to the poor, and to follow him. This was not a prescription he gave to everyone. Jesus knew that this young man didn't own his wealth. It owned him. You might note that some people, if they knew that Jesus was really asking them to give up all of their worldly possessions, they would do it in a heartbeat. That's what God was asking from us. We would. We'd, we'd turn it all over. In fact, there have been people throughout history that have been, who, who have given up everything they have and everything they own and serve the least and the lost. There have been those that do that. And, and there are still people like that today. The, the world is a better place because of their sacrifice, but this is not required of everyone. This was a test of this young man's faith and commitment, and he failed it. And it's not always a test that Christ gives to everyone. Having said that, though, let me add this. We, we don't have to give up everything to follow Jesus. However, if we never give up anything because of our love for Christ, then we may want to examine our commitment to Jesus. At the heart of the gospel is the power of giving. That's the heart of the gospel is the power of giving. 19th century British missionaries knew this. When they were departing from England for Africa, many packed their possessions in a long, narrow wooden boxes which were their own coffins. They knew that more than likely they would return home in one of those coffins. 
destroyed by disease and exhaustion and violence. And many did return home that way. They packed their very belongings in the boxes that they would return in. God has not called most of us to be missionaries like that. God has not called us to give everything that we own to the poor. But if we have never given up anything because of our faith in Jesus Christ, then we ought to take our spiritual temperature. Most of us, we do give sacrificially. I've seen it here on many occasions. And that is what God calls or what Christ calls us to do. For some people, that means a, a tithe, 10% of an income to God. Most highly committed believers are tithers in that way. However, some of us give only a small fraction of our time, of our talents. And I, I didn't say it earlier, but I was so thankful for the men that stayed after breakfast yesterday. Worked hard for about three or four hours out on the yard and the lawns. and Not lawns, we don't have lawns, but we've got trees and, and all kinds of shrubberies and everything and worked hard to, to beautify it. They gave of their time. They sweated gave of their vehicles to take stuff to the, we did three runs to the dump. Well, we had one individual that did that. Giving so sacrificially of their time. We don't all give our time or our talents or our money serving Christ. It's true that chances are that many of us could do more. You see, we often do enough and we don't we don't do enough, and we don't always give enough. We don't reach out to the least and the lowest as we should. We don't have to give up everything to follow Jesus. However, if we have never given up anything, if we are not giving sacrificially because of our love for Christ, then we ought to examine our level of commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever that means, however God impresses that upon us, how we give, if we're not willing to do that, we ought to check our pulse rate for Jesus. Here, however, is the greatest news about money. You might like this. Salvation is not determined by what we're given, we've given up for God. Did you get that? Salvation is not determined by what we've given up for God, but what God has given up for us. We are not saved by our tithes, but by our tithes to the man from Nazareth. That's the good news, isn't it? It's called grace, amazing grace. We have not given all that we should, but God has given enough for everyone. The disciples were startled when they heard Jesus say that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than through to enter the kingdom of God. And they asked, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In other words, salvation doesn't depend on what we do, but on what God has done in Jesus Christ. God has accepted us as we are. A young woman named Karen, she was waiting on a, to board a bus to New Jersey and she noticed a tall, disheveled man trying to get on the same bus. He and the bus driver were arguing because the man didn't have the right amount of money and finally the man got out of the line and stumbled back against the other people and then he looked at Karen and he asked her, would you please give me some money so I can get on the bus? What would you do in that situation? Karen hesitated and said, when I get on the bus, I'll see. <laughs> in the next 30 seconds, as she walked up the steps of the bus and she dropped in her $1.25, she quickly thought through what she should do. She said the sort of things that we say to ourselves, why should I help him? Why should he get a free ride? There are so many other people who have greater needs. 
Karen had noticed that he was carrying some mail with a check on top. He just needs to go cash that check. It's probably a welfare check. He'll just spend it on something ridiculous. Then on the other side of Karen's reasoned mind with a mind of faith, don't you have any compassion? Where is your Christ-likeness? Okay, Lord, she said, what, what should I do? And before she knew it, she said to the bus driver, wait, don't close the doors. Leave them open, let them in, I'll pay for him. The bus driver opened the doors, and the man ran up the steps. She look, he looked at her and smiled and just said, thanks. And then God seemed to speak to Karen. And this is what God said, Karen, do you see? That's what I did for you. No, that man didn't deserve your $1.25. He didn't do anything to earn it, but you gave it to him as a gift. And you did nothing to deserve my acceptance either. I sent my son for you. My son died on the cross saying, open the door. Open the door. Father, let her in. I'll pay for her. And in that sobering moment, Karen realized again the grace of God in her life. You see, if we would do an inventory, if we would check out all of our stuff, we might be faced with the reality of whether our stuff has us or whether we have our stuff. We might find ourselves with our hand in the candy jar, twirling it around, banging it against the wall, trying to figure out how to have more, how to have it all. Here's the idea for us today. As the rich young ruler stood there, he had a choice to make. Follow or let it all go. Follow or let it go. You see, Jesus was trying to say, I love you, but the stuff gets in the way. You want to have a great prayer life with God? Then read his word, listen to his word, and do his word. And this morning, I'd ask you this. What's, what's in your hand? Inside the candy jar that you just can't let go of? What is it that when you say to the Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives you the answer. What answer is it that causes your face to fall and for you to walk away saddened and grieved? For the rich young ruler, he owned much land. What is it with us today? Today, each of us, it might be money, but it might be something else. It might be an addiction. It may be the idea of total surrender to God. I'd love to do that, but I'm just not quite ready for that. Giving him every corner of your life, allowing God total access to your heart and life. It might be service to God. He may have something in mind for you to love and to serve and to share his good news with others. What will you do? Some of us need to release what's in the candy jar and give the, give the jar to Jesus. What's in your hand this morning? What gets in the way? Would you stand with me? How about you? Is God telling you what it takes to inherit eternal life? What it takes to have a great prayer life? It's between you and God. Don't walk away disheartened today. Don't go away grieved. Surrender it to God. Release it and let Him have it. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the time that we've shared together. We've celebrated together this your family. The family of God. Lord, we have a lot of stuff. It doesn't seem like it sometimes because we seem to be chasing. We chase our payments. We, 
we try to fix things up. We're kind of in many ways just doing what everybody's doing around us, and yet, Lord, you, you, you shake us for a moment and stop us in our tracks. Help us to see where we land today, Lord, in this great big world that you've created. And then, Lord, impress upon our hearts what it is that you'd like us to give to you, Lord. Uh, it might not even be money. It might not be none of that, Lord. You, between you and us, personally, Lord, we stand before you, and we might even ask, what does it take to be a good, have a good prayer life with you, to, to, to be in right standing with you, and, and you share with us individually what that is. So, Lord, we offer ourselves to you. That's really all that we have to give. And there are other things as you lead us into a lifestyle of giving to others. Bless as we go from this place, Lord. We pray that we wouldn't walk away saddened, but we would open ourselves completely and say, Lord, it's all yours. Whatever you, ha whatever you desire of us this day, we surrender that to you. Total surrender to God is what we desire. We give you thanks for your presence in our lives, Lord, our presence in our services. We pray a blessing over each one that's here. And as you bless us and as we realize how rich we are, may we, may we meet the needs of others that we see that have need. And we give you thanks. And we pray that you bless these, your people, as we go from this place. And we give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great week and a careful Fourth of July. Amen. <laughs>